When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 28th. It is going to be a massive Mini Break Monday here on this show. We got a bunch of things I want to do today, starting with offering my final thoughts on last week's action in Cleveland and Winston-Salem. Now, I would be remiss if I did not start with a massive thank you to the entire Cleveland team. It was such a pleasure to get to play the role of MC at this past week's event. A massive thank you to the entire top-notch team, Sam Duvall, Kyle Ross, Palco, Guthrie, Ben, anyone else I forget to mention. They treat us like family. They offer us this incredible opportunity. We do not take it for granted. And again, to get to serve in any sort of capacity to help entertain what were incredible crowds in Cleveland. It was an absolute blast. Hopefully you heard that sentiment reflected in all of the podcasts we did. I appreciate all of you who were on site coming up saying hello. It was very funny. There was a receiving line, as I like to describe it, for Sloane Stevens' photographs, autographs after her three-set victory over hometown favorite Lauren Davis. Massive crowd that night. Boy, was it a delight to be courtside for that. And in the midst of that receiving line, I hear someone yell, hey, we want to take a photo with you. And I kind of turn around a little shimmy, part of my comedy bit, being like, there's no way they're talking to me. But they're like, no, you, you're the Cracked Rackets guy. And I was very flattered uh, to be able to take not just that photograph, not to humble brag here, a couple others as well. And again, I just immensely appreciate the opportunity. I'm so grateful. I know I speak for Westoff as well. It's one of our favorite things we do all year long. Thank you to all the top-notch crew. Thank you to the WTA crew as well, Mariana, the entire camera crew, three chair umpires in particular, Tom Sweeney, Maria Chichek, and Miriam Bly, who all have to deal with my nonsense and embrace it. We have a lot of fun. It was a blast. Thank you to the Cleveland team for, again, affording us that opportunity. It's something we hope to continue to do in the future, even if it does interrupt with our U.S. Open coverage, because you just can't pass up on those sorts of opportunities and It's an absolute blast to have that chance to do so. Anyways, enough with the thank yous. You want to hear about what happened on court in both Cleveland and Winston-Salem. And again, why is it a a mega mini break Monday? Because I'm going to throw out some draw previews. Now it's just going to be me. We'll post them here on this feed. Obviously, at the end of day number one, which I'm well aware is today at this U.S. Open. Going to offer you a recap as well. We'll do that every day of this event. We'll preview the events over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Hopefully, be able to mix in some cracked interviews as well. Again, we're ready to rock and roll. I needed Sunday to recover. I won't lie. That five weeks on the road, that first day back, it's funny. I was talking about this with Bradley Klon, and I'm very excited to be doing some coverage with playback. We'll talk about that more later on in the week. And I was like, 
dude, I think I understand that. Why these players are so exhausted after five weeks on the road because you wake up in hotel rooms and your bed's a different direction and you wake up and you're like, wait, where am I? What's going on? And anyways, getting back yesterday was one of the worst hangovers I've ever had and there was no alcohol involved. And so I needed yesterday to recover, recuperate. I'm re-energized. I'm back. It's going to be a mega mini break Monday. We got a lot of things to do, and then we're rocking and rolling into the 2023 U.S. Open. That said, shout out to all of you who tune in day in, day out. Shout out to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point as well for all the latest equipment at the best prices. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Treat yourself. Get yourself that U.S. Open kit Upgrade the racket. Get ready as we turn from summer to fall. You deserve new gear. Tennis-point.com for all of it. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point, simple enough to spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's start in Cleveland. It was obviously courtside for the entirety of Sarah Saribes Tormo's run to her second tour-level title. I got plenty of thoughts coming out of Championship Weekend. I do want to start by offering the tidbit. Again, a thank you to the top-notch team. My parents, grandma, older brother Eric, came to Cleveland. It happened to be my mom's birthday weekend. A happy birthday to her, of course, belatedly here on this show. I gave her a shout-out during the day, so I don't feel guilty about this belated podcast shout out anyways because nothing builds street cred with a crowd like saying you love your mother anyways it was fascinating to hear their reflections from the weekend because of course I live in the tennis bubble and while my mom is the Roger Ebert of tennis media I don't want uh, critics in, and not critics in the sense that she criticizes others performance but critics in the sense that she has takes on everyone she listens as she phrases it to the competition and I say that with love you want to know where I get my mindset from why we record this podcast daily I have her drive of if I want to do something I'm going to freaking do it so shout out to Bob as always happy belated birthday I love you very much anyways it was fascinating to listen to my brother who for what it's worth worked for the Michigan football team and in his capacity in that role were the headset for Brady Hoke. Why is that relevant? Hoke was the head coach during games. Eric would stand right by his side and he had a field level view to in-person football. He is a fan of all sports. Um, And he emphasized the in-person tennis experience as a fan is just better than all the other in-person experiences. And I happen to agree, but to hear his reasoning of, you think you have a sense of the pace they play at, you think you have a sense of the physicality, the movement, you have no idea. And it certainly helped to have the contrast in styles, the overwhelming pace of Ekaterina Alexandrova in the final, the relentlessness of the Sarasaribas Tormo movement, the variety she plays with, how low her slice freaking stays when you see it in person. It's just... It's captured by by camera angles. It's captured on television well, but in person is another experience. And obviously, if you're listening to a daily podcast like this, I think you are predisposed to wanting to attend a tennis event if it's in your area. I'm telling you, whether it's college tennis, obviously, if you have the experience to attend a pro event, uh, you should take that opportunity because it, it is well worth it. And by the way, speaking of Eric... I think I've told this story before, but in case I haven't, a shout out to, and I'm sorry if I butcher his last name, Zach Chentoff, I think I pronounced that correctly, who now happens to work 
I don't want to say work for my brother, but I do think that's the proper terminology. Shout out Eric, started his company. It's going well. Zach is a coder, I believe, that programmer. I'm, I'm butchering it, but someone they brought in to code to do programming. Anyways, listener of this podcast. And in, I'm going to tell the story. I'm sorry, Eric. There's no way Eric's listening to the show. So it doesn't matter. And I swear we're going to get back to the tennis. But this is a fun story for me, listeners. So just bear with me for two seconds. Shout out, Zach. I know you weren't feeling your best. I hope you're feeling better. Shout out to you for tolerating Eric. If you ever need advice, I got 27, you know, almost 28 years of experience. I have some thoughts. Um, but in their team chemistry building meeting, shout out to building chemistry, uh, everyone's introducing themselves. Eric's going, hi, I'm Eric Gruskin. I have two brothers. Uh, shout out to Eric. I would love to hear what his explanation of what my job is. And shout out to Zach who goes, wait, you're Eric Gruskin? Like, Alex's brother and Eric I can only imagine the face and the terror he was feeling internally like oh no where is this gonna go and shout out to Zach who goes oh I love the podcast I listened to it so shout out to you Zach I appreciate you listening I will say if you're trying to butter up Eric he probably wants to hear criticism of my performance because I think he thinks I'm an idiot in the best sense possible um but actually, internally, he is very happy to hear that there's a fan out there who doesn't think I'm ridiculous. So shout out to you, Zach. Thank you for that. The thing I, th- I-, I could retire today and knowing that someone said, hey, you're Alex's brother to Eric. I think you hear it in the joy in my voice. That's what I'm looking for. Anyways, it was fascinating to hear his take of in-person tennis. And it was fascinating to hear going into the final, we had breakfast. Shout out to Westhoff, who joined us as a family in the morning and before the final began. And both my mom and Eric were pretty certain that Alexandrova was going to knock off Cerebez Tormo. They just didn't see how she was going to disrupt that relentless pace and the you know the line drive tennis Alexandrova is capable of playing from the baseline where she can just disrupt anything her opponents are doing. And shout out to Sarah Cerebez Tormo. I've used this description before. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. I think through the first two sets, I was texting with Leif Shiras, who was on the call for Tennis Channel. Shout out to Leif, who was kind enough to text me. That was cool uh, to get a text saying, hey, it's Leif. And I was like, oh, I know who you are, but okay, cool. Um, anyways, um, it was a cool week. I think you could hear it in my voice. Shout out Top Notch. That's the last one. Now we're back in focus. And he goes, hey, any reflections being courtside through the first set? And I go, well, yeah, like I know it was a close competitive 6-3 set, but I think Cerebus Tormo maybe hit two winners. And I would be shocked if Alexandrova lost more than five points behind her first serve when she was able to dictate and set the tone with that first serve. And, you know, again, Cerebus Tormo wasn't able to disrupt anything. And Leaf goes, yeah, she lost three points on the first serve and Cerebus Tormo has hit two winners. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what I saw. And that was the story of the first set. Cerebus Tormo just was not able to get the ball out of Alexandrova's strike zone. Now, Alexandrova played a very sloppy opening game to get broken, but that's some finals jitters. From there, everything was in rhythm. When she had the opportunity to step into the ball, and that's what she was doing most frequently, she was finding success. She was able to eventually you know, open up a crease for herself. And even if Cerebus Tormo was able to get a racket on it, it would either go long, go wide, or the next put away would be so easy that not even Cerebus Tormo could get there. 
And then Suri Best Hormo got into her bag of tricks. And that's the thing that I think impressed me most from Cerebez Tormo in the final. Who, by the way, Cerebez Tormo came in as a lucky loser. She lost final round of qualifying three sets to Clara Burel. She lost one more set the rest of the way. And you could tell whether it was in her quarterfinal match against Sloane Stevens. You know, Stevens had to play a double header that day, but you could just tell within the first. 30 minutes that it was just a like Sloan Stevens was like, you know what? I'm just not it, it Sloan Stevens just wasn't in the mood to have to put up the sort of fight you have to put up against Cerebez Tormo to grind through that match after losing the first set against Tatiana Maria. You could tell Maria, who, as we talked about last week, loves to play the slice, loves to make the match extraordinarily physical. She realized in the first 25 minutes, hey, I am not going to out-physical Sarah Cerebes Tormo. I got to hit through my forehand a little bit more. I have to find opportunities to move forward and just put some sort of pressure on Cerebes Tormo. Didn't work. Cerebes Tormo threw in th- uh, straight sets. She was dictating. She was volleying so well, just showing off a little bit of everything, even if she doesn't have that overwhelming pace. Then in the final, sets two and three, the game plan became quite clear. No more than two shots consecutively in the same part of the strike zone for a Katarina Alexandrova. Whether that meant two balls at a 75% neutral pace, followed up by a slice, followed up by a heli- highly elevated, I'll you just use this term to make it easy for you all, high moon ball, you know, to push Alexandrova back behind the baseline by herself some time to reset things from a movement and court positioning perspective. She just kept throwing different looks at Alexandrova. And even in winning the first set, there was just a degree of frustration. Alexandrova continued to project toward her team as if to say, you know, all these different bounces, all these different looks, Jesus, is this extraordinarily frustrating. And I think I hit three different winners in the rally and no, she, it's a stick save and it just comes in just low enough that there's not really much I can do with it. It, it speaks to, again, the relentlessness of Cerebez Tormo, who, let's remember, came into the week 95 in the world, coming off of you know last year where she was just devastated by injuries, having to build back her ranking. Now she's all the way back up to number 55 in the world with this title. There's just a joy, uh, you know, again, in her face, not only in winning the title. By the way, she came back from a breakdown in the third as well, and you could just tell once Alexandrova seated that break in the third, the match was over. The, she started to play the slice far more frequently to get that ball low on Alexandrova, who does not have a lot of net clearance in her ground strokes. And again, when you can mix things up on her, get her in different portions of the strike zone, that's when the errors begin to come. Still, she had plenty of opportunities. This was a 3-6-6-4-6-4, two-and-a-half-hour match. And by the way, what was probably the hottest day we dealt with in Cleveland, just relentless sun throughout the course of that final. I, I looked down at my arms. I'm like, this is not me. What is? I got some serious sun uh, over the course of the past week. Srivas Tormo was just... And again, I don't mean to minimize by saying the match, you know, again, she generated a lot of errors from Alexandrova because that's her form of aggression. She just throws you so many different looks. She tracks down that extra ball. She was hitting the short angle cross-court pass off of both wings brilliantly. She volleys extraordinarily well and uses her speed well to beat you to the spot and knife off the short angle volley because, again, she does have that touch, that feel to get outside the ball from her slices. She can do a little bit of everything. Now, 
I think disciplined, relentless pace, you can disrupt that rhythm. I think Alexandrova found pretty quickly pace into that forehand wing is actually more successful than pace into the backhand because you put pace into that forehand wing, that's the side Cerebus Tormo will leave short. And I think Alexandrova identified that with her first serve. Uh, and again, that was really first serve into the forehand, open first strike into that forehand as well. But man, I mean, again, Cerebus Tormo, after coming in as a lucky loser, dropped one set on her way to the title, back up to number 55 in the live rankings, back up to number 55 in the actual rankings, just back in the mix. And, you know, again, she's got Kalinina, First round of the U.S. Open, Kalinina forced to withdraw early in the event in Cleveland. She's been dealing with injuries all season long. Look, Cerebus Tormo is a baller. She's the sort of player who will be fit enough. Doesn't matter. You know, Sunday will be all she needs for a recovery. Now, adjusting the conditions for her game is something else, but she will be ready for the dogfight. She always is. Um, just so relentless. I was so impressed. Again, it was that ability to just get that ball low on Alexandrova and then two shots later followed up and now it's shoulder height and just made Alexandrova relentlessly uncomfortable. Again, forced Tatiana Maria to have to hit through the ball because she wasn't going to outgrind her. It was a hot day in, uh, when she played Sloan Stevens. Stevens had to play a doubleheader after getting rained out the night before. Same thing with Kudermatova, though, in the round of 16. You could just tell after dropping the first set, Kudermatova was very clear, you know what, I just, I'm not in the mood for this fight today. There was just a joy in Cerebus Tormo who's so grateful for everything. She didn't need to be. She earned it. Don't be grateful. This is your opportunity. And she took it. It was so impressive. She obviously wins the title. Biggest winner of the week. Um, now for Alexandrova, again, I would reiterate, she played well enough to win the final. She was up a break, 4-3 in the third before dropping those final three games. You know, again, just... Felt a little rushed in everything she was doing. Was frustrated from the moment it felt like she walked down the court, or at least within the first three games of, oh, this bounce here, just again. She allowed, it just felt like Cerebus Tormo had her right where she wanted her in sets two and three, hanging on by a thread at all moments. It just, it never felt like she was willing to fully accelerate through the ball because there was a little bit of doubt in the back of her mind. The sort of doubt that comes after, Cerebes Tormo tracks down shot after shot after shot. It, it's inevitable that that doubt begins to creep in. That said, I really enjoyed what I saw from Alexandrova this week. And, you know, again, to get straight set wins over Ju Lin, Sastovich Teague, three sets over someone in Wang Shenyu who had beaten her in Indian Wells earlier this year. That's your first two rounds of the U.S. Open. Now, in her case, she, dealt, she got dealt Layla Fernandez in the draw. That's tough. Um, still, it's a good week for Alexandrova to reach her, what, second final of the season. She's back up to number 20 in the rankings. It's right where you want to be, 28 years old, you know, in the prime of your career. You get to set your own schedule. You're in the main draw of everything you want to play. And again, you get four wins under your belt this week. You come in with, uh, yes, the final didn't end the way you wanted it to end, but now you've you've dealt with that sort of condition. And in her case, you know, again, she's got to turn things around quickly because outside of Layla Fernandez. Uh, you know, again, Tatiana Maria just kind of broke her down in the quarterfinals. It was incredible to see. But Layla played really well 
in her first two matches and in the first 15 minutes of her battle before those slices of Tatiana Maria started to frustrate her a little bit. Now, the pace of Alexandrova into that forehand of Layla Fernandez, that's going to be a fascinating matchup to see. But Fernandez is great at taking time away as well and mixing in the drop shot, playing with some variety, not quite to the extent that Cerebas Tormo does and I don't think the physicality is quite the same, but that's a, one of your most fun opening round matches of the U.S. Open. And, you know, again, on the other side for Julin, the pace of Alexandra was just too much in the semifinals. And, you know, again, Julin wants to be the one dictating on her front foot. That's what she did really well in upsetting Garcia in the quarterfinals, just took time away, seemed that ability to get the ball deep into the body of Garcia. Garcia was just ne- never able to get the train going other than behind her first serve. Alexandrova was. Alexandrova was a little bit more patient. Again, obviously put more returns in play than Garcia did just fundamentally, but it just felt like Alexandrova always had Julin on the stretch, and that's not where any player wants to be. And so still really good semifinal run keeps her in the top 50. You get three wins under your belt. You have a couple days to recover, get acclimated in New York. Good weekend for Julin. Great weekend for Tatiana Maria, who again is back inside the top 50. You look now, she's currently sitting 46 in the live rankings heading into this U.S. Open. That ties her with her career high. Now, again, there's going to be a lot of winning and fluctuations in the live rankings between now and then, but oldest player in the top 50, as fit as anyone. Again, it was just, she looked in the mirror and three best Tormo was just a little bit better and could generate a little bit more pace with her forehand, was not uncomfortable sneaking in when she got Tatiana Maria stretched with a slice and had an opportunity to use her speed to cut off angles. Three best Tormo just played the better version of Tatiana Maria's game style. It was very Spider-Man Mimi, very fun matchup. Uh, ultimately, though, again, Cerebez Tormo threw to the title. Uh, just, it was her week from the start. She did that. She deserved it. Like it, it was just, she was the one who wanted to be here the longest. She was the one who, again, was willing to suffer through all the conditions, the rain, the humidity, the various game styles she faced, whether it be a, a Maria who wants to grind, the Alexandrova who wants to blitz you with her pace. She was exceptional. Shout out to her. Deserving champion. Shout out to the doubles duo, by the way, of Kato and Suciati as well. Suciati, of course, former All-American at Kentucky. Mayu Kato. Uh, that duo, I think, is now top 25, I want to say. And certainly a top 15 team right now in on the WTA doubles tour. 10-7 in the third, they beat Dabrowski and Rutliff in the semifinals. That's back-to-back wins over that duo after they beat them in Cincinnati the week prior. That's just a really hard thing to do in doubles. Then 10-8 in the third in a match that was lucky to go three sets if you're Melikar Martinez and Ellen Perez. Kato and Suciati taking, though, the title. I think it's their third final as a duo in their 18 months together. I think this is their second title. Shout-out to Nicole Melikar Martinez, who, through sheer force of will, they were, you know, Perez and Melikar Martinez were up a break for the majority of the second set. They get broken back. Looks like they're going to drop the second set going down 5-4. And then Melikar Martinez just turned it on, was blitzing forehands. Oh, and look, I really like watching her and Alan Perez play because it's a perfect combination. The pace Melikar plays with, the creativity, the hands, the speed of Perez, who, by the way, can light it up as well. They're a very fun duo to play. It was not Ellen Perez's day. I think she would be the first to say it in the final. And there was an early injury timeout in the first set. I didn't ask her about it, but I'm sure that played some sort of factor. 
yet they, again, through sheer force of will, were able to force a third set. And just the pace, the creativity, the reactions, pro doubles is a blast. And I think if I took a poll of my entire family, what did you guys enjoy watching more, the singles or the doubles? I think it would be pretty unanimous. It might be 3-1, but the majority would lean towards the doubles. And again, Kato and Suciati were just ready for everything. They used their speed so well to cross relentlessly at the net. It was just a it was a really fun event. Uh, it's one of those things where again I I don't talk as much doubles as I probably should on this show. You watch it in person. It's captivating and I hope it continues to exist within the pro ecosystem because I do think the fans are captivated. The Cleveland fans in particular have a respect and fondness for doubles that I don't know if it's replicated elsewhere, but at an intimate event like this, people just want to see tennis, and boy, were they treated to some fun stuff in Cleveland. So again, shout out to the top-notch team. They put on another stellar event. Shout out to Cerebas, Tormo, Kato, and Suciati, your champions coming out of Cleveland. Not going to do quite as long on Winston-Salem. I do want to offer some thoughts there, though, before we wrap today's show. How about Sebi Baez? First week he ever won consecutive hardcourt matches at the tour level turns into his first title on an ATP hardcourt, this time in Winston-Salem. The Chorch match in the semis was awesome. The matchup against Lechechko was so fascinating because, you know, the issues for Sebi Baez on hardcourt, you look at his size, you think, oh, it's probably the serve. It's not the serve. It's the return of serve. He just doesn't have the time to grip and rip the way he does on clay courts because when you give Sebastian Baez time, I don't care about his lack of height. He fires missiles from the baseline. When he has time to load into his forehand, his ability to explode through that ball, hit a winner from any position on the court, obviously his speed is exceptional as well. You know, that's the shot on clay courts because you always have that extra half second and he does have the quickness he possesses. That forehand is accentuated that much more on those slower surfaces because he can hit through any surface. He just didn't have that sort of time against Yuri Lachetchka, and that's why it was so fascinating to see the various adjustments, you know, whether it was in his return positioning. I thought he actually took a couple steps forward on the return of serve, and more than anything, tried to short hop it and just say, okay, I'm not going to hit the deepest ball, but you don't have a second and a half to get to the net and just hit the easiest serve and volleys if you're Yuri Lachetchka. And, you know, again, look, Sebi Baez was down, what, love 40 in his 5-3 service game serving for the match? Or maybe it was his 5-4 service game serving for the opening set. I forget which one. And, you know, goes bold with a couple of inside-in forehands. Now, Lachechka certainly got tentative. Oh, no, no, It was serving out the set 5-4, love 40. Um, because Lachechka certainly got tentative and a little handsy and just tried to guide the ball in more than taking full rips on the return of serve. Now, credit to Sebi Baez, who caught Lachechka leaking over on the ad side. And while he does like to hit that kick serve to set up the first forehand anywhere, much like Alcaraz does... Caught him peeking out wide and snuck in a couple of T-serves as well. The T-serve on set point in particular was impressive. I liked what I saw from Sebi Baez on serve throughout the course of the week. But again, more than anything, I, I did like how he started taking the ball earlier on the rise, using his speed to beat people to the spot, not seeding 12 feet of court positioning to try and give himself a little bit more time to take a full rip. It just felt like he was more aggressive in his posturing all week long. And look, he played guys who have been playing well all week. Uh, Vukic has been one of the stars of the summer. Laszlo Jura, finalist in Hamburg. He's been playing good ball. And I went back and watched him beat Alex Mickelson. 
once Mickelson gets fast, the tour's in trouble. He was not physical enough to beat Laszlo Jura in that round of 16 match. The Chorich match was fascinating for Sebi Baez because I thought his first serve was a real weapon in that match. And it was against Lechechka as well, but his struggles on the second serve sort of, you know, again, led to... It just kind of was too script, I suppose, for Baez, but... Man, he hit his spot so well against Borna Chorich, and I do think he's holding his ground better on his first forehand from the baseline, and again, because he drives that ball so well. I think that's the side, if you have pace and you can attack the Sebi Bias forehand, that's the ball he'll pop up short. The backhand, the swing is just so condensed, it's a little bit easier for her to absorb on that wing. But man, it's just, again, the physicality he displayed. He goes down an early break against Lechechka in the first set. Gets the break immediately back for three all again. Pulls away there to end the set. Then goes down two love early in set number two. Rips off three straight games. Has this look of almost, un- looked untouchable for a four-game run in that second set against Lechechka. He just has real weapons. And you combine that with his speed, he's going to have opportunities to show those weapons off. Now again, the foundation, the return of serve, that ball does get on his forehand much quicker here on these hard courts and him continuing to tinker with that re- uh, that return positioning, I think probably will define his ceiling moving forward on the hard courts. But look, with this win, he's back up to number 32 in the rankings, two off his career high. And this is the first time in his career he's won consecutive matches on hard courts. It speaks to, again, how good he's been on clay courts. And let's remind you, he's won two titles on clay courts this year. Third title overall on the year. Yes, they're all 250s, but you win three 250s, you're going to be a top 50 player in the world. Unequivocally now, you do it across surfaces. That's what Sebi Baez is. Now, the most fascinating part, of course, is he's got a rematch with Borna Chorich round one of this U.S. Open. Really hard to beat a player twice consecutively. I think if you're Chorich, you're licking your chops that you get that matchup again. Now you kind of know what to expect in terms of what spots he's going to hit on the serve. You've seen that bias serve. It, it does feel like for George, again, to replicate the success he had with his plus one game, probably a little bit easier uh, than I would say vice versa for Baez. Still a career week for Sebi Baez to just build that sort of confidence now on the hard courts. Okay, I you know, one top 30 win in Borna Chorich, but a bunch of top 50 wins in Jura, Lechechka, Vukic, Four top 50 wins on hard courts. He hadn't had that many in his career prior to the week. So a shout-out to Sebi Baez, biggest winner on the week. Now, shout-out to Yuri Lechechka as well. Obviously got the withdrawal from Korda uh, in the semis, but his serve, his forehander, top 30 weapon on hard courts. Again, there are four players 21 and under in the top 30. Alcaraz, Runa, Musetti, Lechechka. He has the weapons to, again, play at his pace, play at his tempo. And I thought his legs did give out a little bit on him in set number two, but that's sort of what Seppi Baez does to you. Again, it is a little bit one speed, and you could tell when he was trying to grind a little bit with Baez, got a little bit tentative. You just can't do that against Seppi Baez. He's also just not the most comfortable doing it, but I think Lachetchka is a good mover. Uh, Again, I think it's, I think it's, it's enjoyable, I would say, um, Enjoyable. That's the wrong word. Sorry, I got distracted. I think it's leave it in. Um, that's what happens when your phone rings in the middle of a podcast. 
I think Lechechka's gotten more fluid moving to his backhand than I saw maybe even six months ago during his run in Australia. And that forehand, again, can just be relentless. So good run to a final for Lechechka, who, again, with this run, consolidates his top 30 position, currently sitting at 29 in the rankings. He has a first-round matchup tricky with Aslan Karatsev in round one of the U.S. Open. Went back and watched some more Korda. 7-6 in the third over Gasquet, just to see, again, physically how concerned should we be about it heading into the U.S. Open. He looked good and moving towards the home stretch of that match against Gasquet, so I think it was more preventative than anything else. I mean, his ability to absorb your pace, hold his ground, and then just dish it back. You feel like Sebi Corda, when I watch him play, I feel like he's afraid to swing his hardest because, yes, that ball could be blitzed 130 miles per hour off the surface, you know, uh, off the surface line, and there's nothing you can do about it. But he could also hit the back fence if he swings his hardest because it just feels like he has that sort of raw power, that sort of physicality, how he loads on his hip and explodes through it. It's textbook sort of stuff. And so, again, good for him to get some confidence heading into the Open. His first-round match against Marton Fucevic, a rematch from Winston-Salem as well, a match uh, ultimately Korda 6-3 and three was through. And his pace just kind of overwhelmed that. You know, Fucevic got to the point where he was hitting the slice backhand so frequently. And you just can't give Sebi Korda time because then he's going to ring you around the court. Not just with his ability to get outside the ball and create angle, but obviously blitz you with pace as well. So my Korda thoughts remain strong. I didn't follow the doubles as closely in Winston-Salem, but two of my guys, Jackson Withrow, Nate Lamons, take the title. They've been killing it, man. Continuing to progress towards the top 30, towards the top 20. A good U.S. Open run. Maybe they find themselves in the year-end tour hunt. They've just been that consistent all year long. I do want to say I went back and watched the Michael Moe Borna Chorich highlights. I feel like every week Michael Moe's forehand looks a little bit different. And again, talk about a guy who... You feel like if he swings his hardest, same thing. He could generate 130-mile-per-hour blitzing sort of pace, or he could swing through a ball through the back fence. I've said this before, I say it again, I love his willingness to move forward more frequently, even if he's still not the most comfortable volleyer. He was impressive. I mean, the relentless servant volley game of Max Purcell is just a good athlete. He likes to slice that forehand a little more than I would like. Uh, and Lachetchka just again sort of blitzed him with his pace. That forehand just kind of overwhelming Purcell. And then also, you know, again, Lachetchka hits a beautiful return of serve to cl- close out that opening set. Gets that ball just a little low on the serve and volley for Purcell so he couldn't really pop it up. And that ball just ultimately in the net. Anyways, it was a fun week in Winston-Salem. And this is what the week before a slam is supposed to provide. An opportunity for a player, you know, maybe not a top 50 player, but someone looking to build up their confidence, looking to build up their ranking. And, you know, in the case of Sebi Baez and Sarah Saribas Tormo, two players who may have fallen out of form or who, in the case of Baez, lacked confidence on this surface particularly, they gained exactly what they were looking for, which, again, big picture, more important than the result of one individual slam in the U.S. Open because they each, I believe, have double-digit slams remaining, and so they can afford to risk the one in pursuit of the larger picture. That said, those are my final thoughts on all things Cleveland and Winston-Salem. And again, a shout-out to the top-notch team for having Westoff and myself on site. We hope to continue to go back moving forward in the future. With all of that said, mega mini-break Monday going to continue later on today. We'll have men's, women's, U.S. Open draw previews, a recap of day one as well. Preview of day two over on the Great Shot podcast feed. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in 
day out making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all later today. Thanks, everyone.